We're in Isaiah 30. We're doing verses 19 through 23, and it's entitled, Our Eyes Can See Our Teachers. And I say that they can because it's talking about now. Now. I always was taught in the in the previous churches that I was in, the Pentecostal church to begin with, the worldwide church after that, and the concordant church after that, that these verses that we'll be studying today, at least the ones about the teachers, have to do with the millennium and seeing your teachers in the millennium. Well, we'll that'll certainly apply. But these are words that apply to us today also. So let's get into them and see what we can learn. For the Lord shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. The people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the voice of your cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer them. The. And though the Lord give you the bread of affliction and of a bread of adversity and the water of affliction, you sh yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. You shall defile also the coverings of your graven images of silver and the, the ornament of your molten images of gold. You shall cast them away as a menstruous cloth. You shall say to it, get thee hence. Clearly, it has a present application. Then shall be given, then shall he give rain to your, of your seed, that you shall sow the ground with all, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. In the day, in that day, shall your cattle feed in large pastures. We were just asked by Ruth Ann to pray that we, that she could grow in understanding. Well, that's what's being talked about right there, Ruth Ann. You're going to be given rain for your seed and you will sow the ground with all and the bread of the increase of the earth will be fat and plenteous for you. In the day that the Lord is feeding and giving you cattle in large pastures, the oxen likewise. And the young asses that ear, ear the ground, that means plow the ground, shall eat clean provender, clean food, which has been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every high mountain, this is part of the winnowing right here, upon every high mountain and upon every high hill, rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter. When the towers fall, that's when it all takes place. And that's what we're living. So before we begin our study today, it will help us to remind ourselves of who the Holy Spirit considers to be the people that dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Let's let God be true and every man a liar. We need to know what the scriptures mean when they speak of circumcision, when they speak of a Jew or the seed of Abraham, the son of the free woman, the Israel of God. Now, since the times of the Reformation, since Christ, in other words, these, those words and phrases 
have taken an entirely new spiritual meaning. What the world calls replacement theology. But it's just really the doctrine of the scriptures. Hebrews 9 verse 10 tells us, which stood only in meats and drinks and different washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. There was a reformation when Christ came, a big reformation. He was radical. He shook things up. He reformed things. Now here are a few verses concerning the significance of the times of reformation, which if we are given to receive it, will make our study today take on so much more significance to each of us individually, inwardly. Romans 2, 27 through 29. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you which by the letter and circumcision do transgress the law. The letter and circumcision transgress the law. Man, tell that to a person who has no spiritual understanding. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men, but is of God. Now, not one Christian, professing Christian in a million believes that he is not a Jew, which is one. They just don't believe it. They believe that the whole Christian world proclaims that the physical Jews are still God's chosen people. Well, the scriptures declare that they're not even Jews. They're outward Jews, but they're not the Jews that know God. And that's what they think they are. They think they're God's chosen people. And they're not circumcised except for those who are in Christ. Outward circumcision doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing to God. Not the least bit impressed. We're told Zion is at Jerusalem. But where is Jerusalem since the times of Reformation? Now, this is what the scriptures teach us is now Jerusalem. Galatians Four, we'll start at verse 25. For this Agar, who is Hagar, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. All of the Jews gathered around Mount Sinai to get the law and answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. In other words, that answers to the Christian church, which now is and is in bondage with their children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice you that you barren that bear not, break forth and cry, you that travail not. For the desolate has many more children than she which has a husband. The desolate is travailing and bringing forth a new man. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, we, we non-physical Jews, as Isaac was, are the children of promise, are the Jews, are the Israelites. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what says the scripture? When he says Isaac was born after the spirit, he's talking in type and, and shadow. Now he, Isaac did not have the spirit of Jesus Christ. He hadn't come to give the spirit to him. Nevertheless, what says the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. 
we are the Jews and the Israelites. If we're in Christ, if you be in Christ, then are you Abraham's seed? That's I think Galatians 3, just the chapter before, verse 28. We're told to cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman should not be heir with the son of the free one. To whom is Paul referring as the son of the bondwoman? The answer of the Holy Spirit is this Hagar is Mount Zion in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is in his bondage with her children. In other words, Jerusalem is Hagar, as far as God is concerned. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, informs us that Jerusalem is now the son of the bondwoman and is in bondage with her children. We're told in Galatians 4.28, now we, brethren, as Gentile Galatians, and all of us Gentiles, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. The Gentiles who believe in Christ are now called the children of promise, as Isaac was. These are then called Jerusalem above the mother of us all. All of this is telling us that we in Christ are the Israel of God. And that's in the same book, just a couple chapters later in chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Now, this is the good, the God's word version, but it says it very clearly. Certainly it doesn't matter whether a person is circumcised or not. What matters is being a new creation. Peace and mercy will come to rest on those who conform to this principle. They are the Israel of God. That's Galatians 6 verses 15 and 16. The world doesn't believe it. They do not believe it. With all this in mind, we can now begin to study and know who is Zion at Jerusalem. Verse 19 of chapter 30. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. God's people. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto you at the voice of your cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer you. At the voice of your cry. We, we prayed a prayer this morning for all the people that we mentioned. And the Lord heard it. And the Lord is answering it. This verse gives us a principle statement, a simple statement of truth without telling us when you shall weep no more. But spiritually, we can in Christ rejoice even now as we're enduring the most excruciating persecutions and trials. For example, as right here with the apostles, I think it's Peter and John in particular here in Acts 5, starting verse 40. And to him, and it's speaking of Gamaliel, they agreed when they had called the apostles and beaten them. They beat them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, here's an example also of where we do not obey the powers that be. When they tell us to forsake Christ, then we have to stand against them and just suffer the consequences of being cast into the fiery furnace, cast into lion's den. We can't put the world ahead of Christ, but we can do a lot that the world asks us to do without disobeying God. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So there it is. Doesn't mean that it didn't hurt them physically, but they felt good that they were given the, uh, the, the, the blessing of being counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. All of our suffering, all of our suffering 
even when we make grievous mistakes and we come and ask Christ and his body for forgiveness, we say, forgive me, we have to forgive. And it all should be something that we rejoice in right now in this age. The Lord is indeed gracious to us when we pray to him. He hears and answers every prayer that accords to his will. Deuteronomy 4.35, all the inhabitants, Daniel 4.35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? You don't ask God that. Well, we do, but it doesn't change anything. Christ told us to always pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. There it is in Luke 11 too. He said to them, when you pray, say our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in my earth. The apostle John tells us that when we pray in this manner, the Lord will hear our every prayer. First John 5 verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But it's got to be according to his will. That's why when we pray, we should say, thy will be done. That prayer will be answered. If we pray that prayer, it will be answered. Because he's working all things after the counsel of his own will. If our sincere prayer is only to seek and want what is the Lord's will, then all of our prayers will be answered. Because we're informed in Daniel 4.35, he does according to his will and none can say his hand. He's very gracious to us. In the voice of our cry, when he shall hear it, he will always answer according to his will. That's the sum of God's word on that subject right there. It's according to his will. Verse 30, or verse 20. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. Now the anymore refers to the fact that all of God's prophets were rejected. They were moved into a corner and they were put away out of the sight of the people of Israel. Back in those days, you know, without the prophets, the people were had no vision. Without vision, the people perished. The prophets gave the word of God to the people. And sometimes they were put in cisterns, left to rot. They suffered everything. And Christ said, blessed are you when all men shall speak evil of you. For so did they unto the prophets that were before you. It's the Lord who gives us the bread of adversity. He says so. Though the Lord give you the bread of adversity. And Christ made that very clear. This is what he came to do in our lives. He doesn't, he doesn't hide this from us. He's not pulling a fast one on us. He's telling us right up front. Think not that I'm come. This is Matthew 10 starting verse 34. Think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come, this is what he come for, to set a man at variance against his father. And the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You can go right through the whole family. And it applies in every relationship. And a man's foes will be they of his own household. That's what Christ came to do. That's what he came to do. If everybody in your family just loves you to death, nobody has anything to say about you that's evil, you might want to 
get down on your knees and ask the Lord to give you his mind. Because when you have his mind, you will have enemies in your own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And any time, any time we put each other out of order in our in our love for one another, if our love is out of order, we do not have the love of Christ. And we're not worthy of him. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life will lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. That is the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. And both Isaiah and Matthew inform us that it's the Lord who came to bring us that trial in our own good time. And for our own good. That's that's. And this, he says, yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but our spiritual eyes will now see our teachers. This is what Christ himself said of his teachers. John 17, starting at verse 16. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As you sent me into the world to teach the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. To teach the world what God is doing. To teach the world what, who the Father really is and what he's up to. And, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself. That they also might be sanctified through the truth that he is teaching them. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through the word they teach others. That's what's being said there. So there it is. That's what this prophecy is calling us, telling us. And I repeat, though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, you yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Our spiritual eyes spiritually see Christ in each other, as we're told. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all, they which that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth now know we no man after the flesh. What does that mean? That I don't see my honey here and recognize her? That's right. I don't see my honey and recognize her in the flesh. I see Jesus Christ. And that's what I see in each of you. Yea, though we've known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more after the flesh. In other words, we see each other as Christ, the spiritual Christ, the risen Christ. The one who's described in Revelation 1. has the brightness of the sun about him. Whose feet are in a fire as if they're in a fire. And who, whose eyes are like fire and has a fiery sword. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In other words, spiritual. To say that we know no man, not even Christ after the flesh, is a revolutionary statement. A reforming statement. 
this is what we are being told by the these verses. Matthew 25, verse 40. The king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brothers, you have done it unto me. Acts 22, verse 8. I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Saul of Tarsus was persecuting no one other than Jesus of Nazareth as he rounded up his victims to take them to prison and and implore them to deny Christ. He was rounding up and he was persecuting Jesus of Nazareth till Christ put a stop to it, as he does to all of us. In other words, in spiritual terms, we should understand that as Christ is in this world, the light of the world being sent to save this world, bringing his Father's word to a lost world, in any way that Christ serves his Father, so are we in this world. But is that really what the scriptures teach? The answer is yes. That's exactly what the teachers, scriptures teach in 1 John 4, 17. You know, I never doubted who Christ, that Christ was the Savior of mankind. I understood all that. But I believed in universal salvation long before I saw this statement right here. I, in other words, my understanding was not this deep yet. But here it is. I just remember it so clearly. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That, that's just what it says. As he is, so are we. What is Christ in this world? What does Father send him to do? Christ said, as his Father sent him, he's sending us. And his Father sent him to save the world. To teach the world. To be the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. We are a bread in 1 Corinthians. The message of Christ, uh, the message of this verse is exactly what Christ told Thomas and Philip. Let not your heart be troubled. This is John 14, verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abodes. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Christ prepares for an abode for us in him. If we abide in him, then we are his disciples indeed. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. If you abide in my words, then you are my disciple indeed. And he is the word, so we're abiding in him. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the life, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? Three and a half years. And yet you have not known me, Philip and Thomas. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you, show us the Father? In other words, seeing a person physically isn't seeing them at all. You've got to see them as Christ. 
if we know Christ, then we also know his father. And from that point on, we know and have seen Christ and his father. That is a spiritual statement. And it's speaking of spiritual eyesight, which can and does see Christ spiritually wherever he now is, is living, wherever he abides. And I trust he abides in each of you and that I see him in each of you. Now we can begin to see and to understand the things of the spirit that are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made. Understanding is seeing. Christ tells us how we're able to see our teachers. We can see our teachers only with spiritual eyes. Christ is no longer a physical man who has physical a physical body. Christ is now spiritually seen within the lives of all those who spiritually are his flesh and his bones, spiritually. Acts 22, verse 8, I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said unto me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. That's who we are. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 through 17. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, either we had known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him. No more after the flesh. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are now spiritual to the new man. He can now see through the eyes of the spirit. Even Christ himself is now to be seen in those who make up his body. That's what's being said to us. We're to see Christ in each other. Ephesians 5, 29 and 30. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it physically, even as Christ takes care of the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are spiritually the body of Christ. Not not his physical flesh and his physical bones. We're his spiritual flesh and bones in these physical bodies. We're no longer to see Christ after the flesh. And yet, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. To the natural man, those words are contradictory and foolishness. The spiritual man, they're not. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, which things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. How? Through these words we're reading. The average man reads them and all he sees is letters and ink. We see them and we see spiritual principles. Which things also we speak, not in words which man wishing, but to wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, to them. Because they are spiritually discerned, spiritually seen. How does the Holy Spirit go about comparing spiritual things with spiritual? It does so not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but it does use words which sound as if they're speaking of physical things, the body of Christ, 
sounds to the natural man as if it's speaking of the physical body of Christ who was taken down off the cross and put in the grave. But that's not what the body of Christ is at all. Body of Christ is in each of us, his flesh and his bones. Those who are with spiritual discernment know that Christ's body, his flesh and his bones are all now to be understood as his body, which is the church. First Corinthians or Colossians 124. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, speaking of himself, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of the Christ in my flesh for his body, which is the church. The world doesn't believe there's anything behind the sufferings of Christ. They don't believe that. But there it is in front of your own eyes. The physical words, my flesh, convey a spiritual truth. That spiritual message is that our physical bodies are but the mere tabernacle of the spiritual body of Christ. The things of the spirit are expressed using words which have a primarily physical meaning, but the mind of Christ within us gives our spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to discern a spiritual message, which is foolishness to the natural mind. Second Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure, spiritual treasure, nothing you can tangibly touch, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's read it again. Which things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You're going to have to use words to talk about physical things to compare spirits. Spiritual man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned and understood not in words of that means which man's wisdom teaches is not saying that the things of the spirit are not expressed in words which men understand in their carnal letter meaning what it means is that the 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 that that man's wisdom wisdom understands only the primary carnal meaning of the words which the spirit uses to express to us the things of the spirit. That's what we're being told. Physical words about physical carnal things are used to express spiritual messages. That's the meaning of how the Holy Spirit compares spiritual things with spiritual. If I tell you, as Paul tells us all, I fill up in my physical body what is behind the affliction of Christ. I'm not making the spirit into letter. The mind of Christ knows that all men must be natural before they become spirit, spiritual. And again, the mind of Christ tells us that the secret which has been hidden from the ages of Christ is a spirit, is temporary dwelling in vessels of clay. But we have this treasure. This is First, Second Corinthians four seven. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this spiritual treasure in earthen vessels, and we express this spiritual blessing with physical words that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. First Corinthians or Colossians 1 26 through 29. Even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and from the generations, but now is made manifest, made to be understood to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, Christ in you, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. We're presenting every man to Christ. We are. It just hadn't been done yet. It's not accomplished, but that's what's going on. The words Christ in you means exactly what they say. Christ, through his Father Spirit, lives within us. However, the natural man cannot see one man living in within another man, just as Nicodemus could not conceive of being born again. The words every man also mean just what they say, inwardly, but not at this time, outwardly. They mean what they say, and they will take place. Christ's conversation with Nicodemus is a perfect example of how the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Perfect example. Here's the Holy Spirit through Christ teaching Nicodemus comparing spiritual things with spiritual. John 3. We'll start at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. We know this. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be born again, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, just like all of us, had we come to him under the same circumstances, said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Not a spiritual bone in his body, so to speak. Spiritual bone in his spiritual body. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, saying to you, except a man be born of the water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And there's no such thing as a, a spiritual flesh. There is such a thing as spirit being able and capable of manifesting itself in the flesh, but it is spirit. It is so in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists, where it wants, and you hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it came from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Water, in this instance, Typifies the water on which the harlot sits. He said to me, the waters which you saw, where the woman, the horse sits, are peoples and multitudes <clears throat> and nations and tongues. We must all be born into the first man, Adam, before we can be born into the last Adam. We must all natu be naturally born before we can be born of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 through 46. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening, a life-giving spirit. 
Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. That was not first which is natural, but that which is uh, spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual is the meaning of except a man be born of water and of spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom. Water and spirit. It has nothing to do at all with being physically baptized in water. Christ is comparing spiritual things with spiritual in teaching Nicodemus. The natural man asks, how can these things be? Let's consider that question. This is what we're told of our present standing with Christ. This is 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now, right at this very moment, are we the sons of God? And it does not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, it's not finished. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Notice it doesn't say when he comes. It says when he appears, because he's here all the time in each of us, and he says so. So if you don't think that Christ is already here, take it up with him, because he tells us he will never leave us or forsake us. He's with us always. How is it possible to tell us now we are the sons of God and at the same time tell us it does not yet appear what we shall be? Well, here's how that must be at this present time and in this present age. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. All things that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Which promise, Holy Spirit of promise, is the earnest, the down payment of a future fullness of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That is, until the resurrection, when we are raised a spiritual body. Unto the praise of his glory. So, yes, we are now the sons of God, but only in earnest, only in down payment form. <clears throat> With the great hope of the redemption of the purchased possession at a later time. Romans 8:24. For we're saved by hope. We're saved by hope. But hope is not hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, Paul doesn't go into a great dissertation like I'm doing right here in Romans 8 about what he means by waiting for something that we don't have or only have in down payment form. But when we put the scriptures together, it's as clear as day that we are right now living in hope of a future resurrection. And we are, while we're living, still capable of being called the sons of God. Christ was speaking words which Nicodemus heard, but he did not and could not understand anything Christ said to him. 
Everything Christ spoke to Nicodemus was for really for our sakes. Matthew 13, verse 10 through, uh, through 14. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to, to the multitudes in parables? He answered and said to them, because given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, unto, unto them it is not given. For whatsoever, for whosoever has has to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away, even that that he has. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they see and see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you shall see, and not perceive. In other words, you're seeing the letters, you're seeing the ink, but you don't understand the thing you're reading. That's the way I was. That's the way I was. And when I finally did see it, I thought, chief, where did that come from? Like, as he is, so are we in this world. I read that, read it with my own eyes. Read it, did not see it. Hearing you'll hear and not understand, seeing you'll see and not perceive. That was why Christ taught the multitudes in parables. To keep them deceived. Christ's parables contain a spiritual message which the natural man simply cannot receive because they're foolishness to the natural man. So, Isaiah 30, verse 21, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walk ye in it, when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left. Christ explains to us, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Same message as Isaiah 30. 21. And that's the message of this verse. Our ears hear a word behind us saying, this is the way walk ye in it. And in Christ, we acknowledge him in all of our ways. When we turn to the right hand and when we turn to the left. In Christ, all we want is thy will be done. Proverbs 3, verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. Mark 6 verse 10. Matthew, I'm sorry. Matthew 6 verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Is that not exactly the same message which we are given, which was given to the apostle John as he was given to reveal Christ to us? Let's start in Revelation 1, verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me, just like Isaiah said, a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm A to Z, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And I turned, did a 180, to see the voice that spake with me. He wanted to see a voice. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. That's how we see Christ today. Exalted, the King of the heavens and 
working his will in the kingdoms of the earth. Christ is in the midst of his church. Seven simply means the, the complete church. And I've got a, a link here on that. He tells us this is the way, walk ye in it, when he hears us. Oh, he tells us this is the way, walk ye in it, when he tells us. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written there. And that, that's, that's what he's telling us. That's how he tells us this is the way, walk ye in it. That's how he does it. For the time is at hand. As we begin to see and to hear and keep the things which are written there in the book of Revelation is rather extensive. This is what we do. Verse 22 of Isaiah 30. You shall defile also the covering of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molten images of gold. And you shall cast them away as a menstruous cloth. And you shall say unto it, get thee hence. We are being made aware. Of this inevitable end in the second chapter of this prophecy, Isaiah 2:20. In that day, a man shall cast his idols of silver and gold, which they have made one each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. We're going to get rid of the false doctrine that is in the Lord's temple so fast when our eyes are open to the truth. The things to which we have in this, in the past, returned over and over and over again, finally, in the Lord's mercy, become repugnant to the new man who is being formed within us. It's all the work of God. We don't, we don't really get involved at all. We might think we do, but our very thoughts are his. We are at long last given to begin to reign over our Graven images, which spiritually represent or symbolize our own carnal minded flesh, with all the false doctrines to which we spiritually bowed down and worshiped for so many years. We tell them when that point arrives, get thee hence. And we cast them out of the temple of God, which temple we are. Verses 16, 17, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Know you not that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? If it does, it does. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But that's what the scriptures tell us. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, if we begin to clean up our spiritual house and rid the Lord's temple of all the idols, we defiled his temple for so long the lord begins to send us so much more of his giving words life giving words is what i'm meaning there symbolized by the refreshing life-sustaining rain of his word isaiah 30 verse 23 then shall he give you rain the rain of your seed that you shall sow the ground with it and bear the bread of ink of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous in the day that your cattle in that day shall your cattle feed in large pastures. Our cattle are the Lord's cattle, our flocks are his flock, of whom we are told in Acts 20, take heed your, therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which 
the Lord has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. We're using physical words to talk about spiritual principles, feeding the flock of the Lord. Peter was given every incentive to write these verses, words about after the Lord, about, you know, feeding the flock after the Lord three times repeated the admonition to Peter for our sakes. First John 21, starting at verse 15. So when they had dined on the fish that Jesus had ready for them, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know, I love you. He said to him unto him, feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He answered him again, feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, love you me. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times. So it's a process. That's the point. It doesn't come overnight. Uh, Ruth Ann, so be patient, but you will begin to see the things of the spirit and to see them far more than you ever thought possible. Isaiah 30, verse 24, the oxen likewise and the young asses that ear the corn shall be, shall ear the ground, shall eat clean provender, which has been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. We're the Lord's oxen. We're his young, young asses that plow his ground. And as much as we are spiritually, and as such, we are spiritually fed clean provender. In other words, the food the Lord gives us is not defiled with false lying doctrine. It's winnowed. Winnowed means that it's, the chaff is taken away with a shovel and with a fan. All the chaff is driven away. Matthew 23, verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly, means thoroughly, purge his floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's that's what it means by being fed with provender that is clean and has been winnowed with a shovel and a fan. Feed my lambs and my sheep, clean provender. It is in service to our brothers and sisters that any of us most profit and that we grow spiritually. Just ask any of our teachers. We all learn most when we're ministering and answering questions. That's when we are growing. Proverbs 14, verse 4, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. We're that ox, by which comes much increase in the Lord's service. And we will reap what we sow in his service. John 15, verse 16, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. 
that whatsoever you shall ask him of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Galatians 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Then in verse 25 of Isaiah 30. And there shall be upon every mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. It sounds gruesome. The great slaughter when the towers fall, spiritually speaking, of the fall of the high towers of our old man. No flesh will glory in his presence. And the Lord will not give will give no quarter to the wild beast within us. Isaiah 2, verses 11 and 2, verse 17. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Skip down to verse 17, same chapter. And the loftiness of men shall be bowed down. And the haughtiness of men shall be made low. And the Lord alone should be exalted in that day. The loftiness and pride of our old man is the fall of our towers, our pride. And our towers fall in that day. The Lord alone. When the Lord alone is exalted. It will be our new man, Christ in us. Christ himself in us. Who alone will exalt the Lord in that day. There's no place for our old man in that day when the Lord alone is exalted. Our old man is destroyed. He's taken out by the brightness of Christ's coming. In our next study, we're going to learn the value, uh, valuable lesson that the Lord's voice is heard with the flame of a devouring fire. That's how his voice is heard. That's what the scripture is going to tell us. And that's the way it is. So that's our study for today. I hope you found it edifying.